Peter Thomas Fornatal here. We at In The Money Media are so happy to be partnering with Maggie Wolfendale on this new podcast series. On these shows, Maggie is telling the story of the horses through the voices of the people who love them and whose lives have been changed by them. Best of all, they're being produced to benefit our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, whose mission of saving lives, both human and equine, is so important to Maggie and so important to us at the network. To make a gift to support this show and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, go to trfinc.org slash offtrack. That's trfinc.org slash offtrack. The next voice you hear will be Maggie Wolfendale. Dark Bay or Brown Gelding, fold April 8, 2008, in Kentucky, by Candy Ride, out of Donnery, by Personal Flag. Career starts for zero wins, zero seconds, zero thirds. Career earnings, $685. Jockey Club name, Monroe's Music. This is his story, off track, as told by... Shelley Farrell. So pleased to be joined by my guest this week on Off Track, Shelley Farrell, otherwise known as Louie's mom, a.k.a. Monroe's music. But Shelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about your love affair with Off-Track Thoroughbreds. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I'm especially happy to be talking about them. <laughs> As we always are. Now, Shelly, I always like to get everybody's background. How did you get involved, not necessarily with the racetrack, but just introduced to the world of racing and thoroughbreds? Um, I was introduced to that world by my dad and he loved to go to the racetrack and we lived in Chicago and he would go to Arlington and also he owned, he owned restaurants and, and, um, nightclubs down in Florida. So he would go down there as well. And to Gulfstream, I remember, I have very vivid memories of being there as a child, but anyway, he was involved with racehorses. And then he started up, uh, I don't know how he met Cock Campbell, but he started owning horses with Dogwood Stables um, through those syndicates. And um, he loved to go to the track and he would take me out of school sometimes. And he would say, don't tell your mom. And he would take me to Arlington. And I just was like in love. I couldn't, I was so in love with those horses. And just looking at them, that's all, all you could do. And we could go, you know, in, into the back and we could actually, I could actually pet them. And, and then he asked me if I wanted to go to summer camp one year. And I said, sure. And when I got to the camp, they had riding and I said, can I ride three hours a day to the camp people? And they're like, well, you need to call your parents and ask them. And you're really only allowed to use the phone like once a, a year, I mean, in the summer. So anyway, 
I went and I said, I called my parents and I was like, can I ride three hours a day? And, you know, I was only like nine years old. I didn't realize that that meant it was going to cost more money. But anyway, they said, sure. And that was the end of it. Um, I never stopped riding. Um, I'm sure my father wishes he had said no, because after that, I went back to that camp for like 10 years and I, all I would do is ride. And then um, I started riding in my own town and eventually begged my dad for a horse, which he did buy me a horse. And um, it, someone in our barn already had it. And it was like $1,500 or something like so he was half thoroughbred, half quarter horse. Um, his name was Go for Broke. And he, we started doing everything because back then you, you did everything. You did pony club, you three day evented, you threw yourself in the jumper ring. You, you did, you didn't just do one facet. Um, we went to dressage shows. Um, so I did a lot of horse showing um, in the Midwest. Uh, we would go like the highlight of the year is going to the Kansas City Royal. And it just, the bug got in me and it never, ever left. When I, I couldn't ride a lot in college, um, but I would. I, I went to college in Lake Forest College and I would call any farm nearby and ask if they had any horses to ride. And they always had sale horses, so I'd just go ride them. And then after college, I had a real job. And I, the first thing I did, which wasn't very smart either, is I went and bought a horse. My parents were like, you bought a horse? You make like $30,000 a year. And I was like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Like, <laughs> um, I love your ambition. It's great. Right. And again, I got, a, what's the first horse I buy? An off-track thoroughbred that actually had been a little bit proven and done its thing in the ring and whatnot. So that's how it all happens. And I'm still have horse. I mean, we have Louie here that lives on our farm and he's retired. And then I have, um, a mare that lives nearby at a boarding, you know, she is at the farm where I ride and show and I show her. Now, is she an off-track thoroughbred too? No. See, now I feel like I completely like cheated on the off-track thoroughbred. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, I think it's, as you said, it's all about being well-rounded. And I think you, you learn different things from you know, different breeds that you can then therefore apply to the thoroughbreds that come off the track. A hundred percent. She has, she is so, the mare that I have now, she's a Dutch warm blood and she is, she couldn't be shorter or rounder, like the complete opposite of the thoroughbreds that I've ever had that were so, you know, the tall and the long legs. And, but she has a heart of gold and she comes out every day. She's exactly the same personality. It never, ever changes. Um, but yes, there are so many things that I learned riding the thoroughbreds in the past and I can, I totally relate, you know, when I get up on her. Well, back to Louie though, you yes. got him as a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. To be fair, his career on the racetrack was not that flashy. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how did you come to own him? So I was looking for another horse. I hadn't had a horse for a, for a, a there was a bit of a gap there, maybe and I hadn't had a horse. So I started looking on, you know, all like horse ad websites. I think it was the big EQ where he was, the big act one. And I just felt, I mean, of course, I fell in love with just what he looked like. And the video was kind of grainy and you couldn't really, he was like cantering some cross rails. Um, so what happened was a girl, I think she was from Alabama. Um, 
she, someone at the track reached out to her. And I don't know how she had that connection, but I'm grateful that she did. And they said, you know, we have this guy who's, I think, wasn't he, correct me if I'm wrong, last in his four races. He was always last place, I think. Yes. (laughs) No, he did finish fifth once. So we can give him a little bit of credit there. (laughs) So this nice person at the track who saw him, and he he is a beautiful mover. She, She reached out to this young girl. And the young girl came and got him and she um, had him. He lived out in a field and she didn't have him very long. I think she only had him a few months and then she was going to college and she had to sell him. And that's when I saw him on that website. And I just, I just, again, so impetuous and without much thought bought him and he came up this way he shipped up here and he was really skinny. He, you know, living out was not for him, clearly. He lived at home for like probably two months to just get him in shape. Not even, I shouldn't say in shape, just to get him fat and calm. And he was very nervous. He was all, he was so nervous. It felt so bad for him. Um, we He just had downtime here for two months of doing absolutely nothing but being Turned out for the 20 minutes, that's all he wanted. And then you have to bring him right back in. And he that's how he was super happy. And then after that, I realized that we he, what was he going to be? I didn't know. And I was very open-minded about the fact that if he wasn't going to work as a hunter-jumper horse, that whatever he was going to be, I was going to let him be that horse. So I took him across. To the farm where I ride is literally across the street and they started riding him. And as he got fitter and healthier, he became a, a handful and he bucked me off. And my trainer was really nervous. And she said, I think I'll ride him all winter. And I said, okay, that's, you know, I didn't love that, but I knew it was the right thing to do. <laughs> and he did turn into a horse that wanted to be a hunter. He didn't want to jump he didn't want to be a jumper. He didn't like going fast. He liked going nice and slow. He liked everything to be very, very calm and very chill. So that's who he became. But if he had wanted to be an event horse or cut cattle or whatever it was, I was going to let him do that. I would find the right person who could do that for him. But I got lucky and he worked for what I do. So that was great. So was it difficult for you then, like when your trainer took over riding him for the winter, how did the process of you kind of getting back on him and figuring him out, how did that kind of stage go? Um, It took a lot of uh, mental, uh, because then I became a little scared, right? You get bucked off, you get scared. And then I was like, well, there's no point in having a horse that you're afraid of. But to be fair, you know, I was probably afraid of him for a long time, but I just would get on and say to myself, you've got to do this and he's going to take care of you. The thing about him is if it was such a fine line between how much you can ask him to do and how much you have to make him think it's his decision or you have to meet him halfway. You can't, he is, he is so willful that way, but he's also super gentle on the other hand. Like he, he was a lot to figure out. But no, it just mentally, I was like, you just have to get on, get back on the horse and go figure it out. But be very gentle and be very um, alert. And he was very sensitive to noise. You know, if I heard a truck coming or something, there was always that moment. And, you know, we 
put earplugs in, but it was mentally, it was, it, it was a lot, but you have to, you have to get past it. Cause what's the point in having him if you're not going to enjoy him and you're not going to ride him. And I learned so much from him. Oh boy, did I learn a lot. Then you, Figured out he was going to excel as a hunter jumper. Mm-hmm. I I saw a little bit on Facebook of you at, down in Wellington doing yes. a beautiful little course. So, mm-hmm. how did that kind of show career come to fruition, and what was that like for you guys? So he eventually, and I think part of it too was he was four. He right. he was a late bloomer when he by the time he was six. He was, I mean, he, he was always fantastic, but he was reliable. He was more reliable when he was six. He could still bust a move every now and then, but I could get on him and I could ride him out to the outdoor ring in our barns, kind of far from the, from the barn. I could ride out. I could ride back. I could take him on a mini trail ride. He wasn't really keen on that. Um, but he just started to progress. And Kirsten Johnson, who rode him, actually, she's married now, Kirsten Scott. She, um, she did a fabulous job with him. She had all the patience in the world. And she knew when, you know, she knew if let's, we would make a plan to go to some shows because around here, uh, up in North Salem, there are, um, there's a big venue nearby called Old Salem Farm and they have mm-hmm. spring show in May. That was always kind of our goal because they had thoroughbred classes and Mrs. Malloy, Vivian Malloy, who has Edition Farm, she would sponsor the class and she made such an amazing presentation and she would be there and she would have it she had there's a trophy and you could the horse's names were put on the trophy and she had beautiful ribbons made like she was a, she's a saint she was so so behind the thoroughbred right I- Totally second that. I oh. I love her to pieces. She does so much for uh, on both ends of the racetrack world, even the breeding world, and as you were saying, in their days after the racetrack, she's just she's mm-hmm. wonderful. She's an amazing, amazing woman, and she sponsored that class for a number of years, and that was always like our big goal, you know, because he's a he didn't jump like the warm bloods. He jumps like a thoroughbred. So we could have a great round, but you know, it would be fifth place. But in the thoroughbred class, I think he won that class two years in a row. And then he was reserve a couple times. Like that was his jam. And um, he was, it's such a beautiful show. And that was always really fun, but he just started to progress. He's, he's actually was better behaved at horse shows than he was at home we'd be like let's just take him to a local show this weekend we're gonna throw him on the trailer and make him go over and you know do the little unrated show and it would always kind of reset his brain and then you get him back home he'd be good as gold again for a while and then you know Kirsten was like I think it's time to take him out again he's getting in a mood and but that's what we do so we showed him for I mean let's see six seven eight nine ten almost seven years and then there was just a, there were a series of events where he kind of was trying to tell us he was done with this. Like he couldn't hold it together anymore. His head, his brain, it was always his brain. He, that horse was never had a lame day in his life. Um, but sometimes he just got into his own head. And so I was like, I really, so luckily we have a, a little two stall barn here at our house and we brought him home and retired him. And he has been so enjoyable to have around. I wish he were small enough to come in the house at night. 
because um, he's just a character and he couldn't be happier. He's like, thank God I'm done showing. I'm done. I'm now I do nothing. And I really love it. That's so funny that he kind of went through that whole mental period of showing his life. Mm-hmm. I love this. I love getting off the farm. And then he was like, you know what? No, but no. good on you for understanding that and listening to him. Well, and that was just it. Like, you know, we all, every, everyone was saying to me, why are you retiring? You guys just did this and you were horse showing and you were in Florida. Like, get him to Wellington. He was like, oh, this is where I always wanted to be. It's hot. This is fantastic. Um, so well behaved down there. Um, but you could just tell, like, it, there was something in his eye. There was something There were like, he never nips or bites at me. And he would like kept biting me. And I thought there was something wrong with him. I called the bed. There was nothing wrong with him. Um, he was just done with it. And now he does absolutely nothing. He goes outside for, it depends. Some days he'll only stay outside for an hour. Some days he'll stay outside for five hours. If there is a bug involved, he's not going anywhere outside. Um, and he is perfectly happy. He's like the sentry of our farm. He watches who comes and who goes. He watches the road. He, our neighbor just moved cows in across the road. He's entranced by the cows, um, (laughs) all day staring at them. Um, but he's just, I don't know. He, he's a character and he's part of our family and he's never going anywhere. I think to my husband's dismay. (laughs) He's like, can we sell him now? Is he sellable? I said, no, he's staying right here. He's not for sale. The kids aren't for sale. You're not for sale. He's not for sale. Oh, that's so great. I love that he's part of the family. Um, and you guys are in North Salem, as you mentioned. Yes. Um, so it, it's kind of an area that is pretty affluent uh, as far as horses go. And um, I know that you're kind of getting involved with the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, too. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Kim is amazing. Kim Weir. And she had asked me um, um, maybe a year ago, I got involved um, with the Florida Advisory Committee there, and they do these wonderful horse shows. We've done two now. Um, and this year they did the horse show at the um, facility that's in Ocala. And I should mention it. So they have this amazing program, The Second Chances, where retired thoroughbreds live on um, prison properties. And the um, inmates if can come and work with the horses. And it's a huge honor and for them to do it. And the stories are amazing. And I encourage anyone to go on to the TRF website and you can see, um, there's some videos there and you can see the stories of um, these women. And there's a juvenile facility too that we're not allowed to photograph or video, but the stories of the kids that are working with the horses are really heartwarming and it turns it, it a hundred percent turns these people's lives around. Um, the Florida programs, when they do leave, they get drafted right away and they all find jobs instantly in, um, in the horse world, be it at a horse farm, a track veterinarians. I mean, they're highly employable because of the um, experience that they had there. But it's a really amazing program the TRF is doing, Second Chances. Oh, and thank you for your involvement with it as well. And it it really is, uh, I know that it all kind of started 
the idea of that with the TRF, I remember um, horses, because I grew up in Maryland, that they could, the Hickey School, which was, as you were saying, for juveniles, and they could work with the horses and several mm-hmm. um, retired racehorses went there too. So uh, as you said, it's it's a win-win situation for the horses to have forever sanctuary, the mm-hmm. life after the track, but also for these people to learn uh, a new trade to have something mm-hmm. to look forward to, to be employable after they, they leave the uh, correctional facility. So mm-hmm. uh, again, thank you for that. And two, as far as Louie goes, I was looking at a picture of him. I, I You'll have to send me some more pictures, but okay. he is so candy ride. Like right? he has those big jaws and mm-hmm. that very bouncy movement. I, I was really impressed with it. He looks just like your quintessential candy ride. He he is so handsome. He's so darn handsome. I know. Um, but he's also so smart. He's like, I'm, I'm not racing. Are you kidding me? Ah, I see what you guys do. I'm going to watch it from the back. They they can be so smart too. Uh, I've worked with a few, and they they've got your number. I, I would have to say. Mm-hmm. So you know, thinking about Louie and everything, I got to ask you my rapid fire questions. Ready. So, what is Louie's favorite treat? Oh, Swedish fish. No, how did you discover that? Just by chance, and because maybe we had some in the house, and now my husband, who is a saint, he goes, he he works in the city, and he'll go down, there's a candy shop way downtown, and he takes the subway down there, and he goes down and gets, like, literally a five-pound bag. He oh eats them all the time. I'm sure the dentist is not fond of them, but... Even the human dentists, I'm sure, aren't fond of them. <laughs> I love that. That's that's a very original little sweet treat. Now, uh, if he had a theme song, what would it be? Oh, okay. Are you ready? Yes. Lay it on me. Um, it's that song from the movie Cops. Bad boys, bad boys. <laughs> what are you going to do when they come for you? Perfect. He I think that's something. He likes being a bad boy. Yes, he likes yeah. being a bad boy. It, well, that's okay, you know, as long as he has you to love him. I think that's, yes. that's you know, that's all that matters. So considering he is the bad boy, if he was a human, what would his drink of choice be? He's pretty sophisticated, probably like a Negroni. <laughs> okay. I like it. <laughs> now, what is, and considering your show days together and, and now in his, his happy retirement uh, life, what is what's his favorite thing to do? Nap. <laughs> even when he was even when he was the big show horse. Oh yeah. So at the horse shows, he would stay up all night because you know they're all in those cute jammed in there in their stalls and their temporary stalls. He would pretty much be up all night. I decided because he'd be dead quiet during the day at, when you showed him. But if he wasn't showing during the day, he was sleeping. He's getting ready for the slumber party that night. Oh, uh, he'd be like, hey, new friends, let's hey. stay up and like chit chat, <laughs> have a Negroni. Uh, what was his least favorite thing to do? Oh, he hates getting clipped. Oh, not a fan of a haircut. Mm-mm. I, can't, I feel him on that. Mm-hmm. I feel him on that. It's so funny how some horses love it. Like, I had a horse that you brought the clippers and he'd like, he'd like, extend himself so you could get his belly and he'd just like sink into it. I'm like, you are a weirdo. 
no, we like if the the poor guys they couldn't even go near his stomach. Like he'd be all clipped, but he'd have a hairy underbelly. Even you know, on with sedation, um, he we couldn't get to his stomach ever. So oh, that's funny. Always had that funny furry stomach. Um, he will let me do his like in the summer. Sometimes he'll do his legs a little bit, but that's the end of it. Yeah. I, I hear him on that. Okay, so final question. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest lesson or thing that Louis has taught you? Patience, I would say, because there were times when we had given him every every reason and every tool to succeed, and he would just not do it. And inside of me, I was like, listen, buddy. We have all bent over backwards to make this day work for you. And it's not clearly working for you for no reason of our doing. And then I just had this like deep breathing and breathe out and then pat him on the neck and be like, all right, you can go home then. You know, you just had to understand him and be super patient with him. And still to this day, you have to be very patient with him. And he taught me a ton of patience. Do you find that you have become more patient in just your day-to-day life because of of that lesson? A hundred percent. I became very patient, you know, with my own kids because I just, you know, you have to realize that, you know, kids are kind of like, can be a little bit like horses. Maybe they can't tell you how they're feeling or why they don't want to do something. And you just have to be patient and respect that choice that they're making or that decision that they're making and tell yourself that one day you'll understand why they did it, or maybe you never will, but it's an animal or it's a child, whatever. And they have feelings and you have to respect those. Very well said. I could not agree more with you. Well, Shelly, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for giving Louis forever home and a wonderful life. Um, I love that he's so spoiled with his Swedish fish. (laughs) I actually... You're reminding me that it's on my list of things to do today because we do have a very only like four left and that's not acceptable. <laughs> oh, Louie. Uh, I owe him a Swedish fish in other words too. So <laughs> Shelly, thank you so much. Um, you've been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Maggie. I loved it. Love meeting you too. for tuning into this week's edition of Off Track. Love hearing Louie's story. And, you know, one of my old trainers used to tell me that as far as horses and show horses in general, it was always better to have the not-so-bright ones because they would listen to you and comply. Louie, on the other hand, strikes me as one of the very smart ones and has learned that He doesn't have to quite work for uh, a good living and so pleased that Shelly has provided that for him. Just a forever home and I loved and got a chuckle out of her saying that, you know, I'm not going to sell my husband so why would I sell my horse? He's part of the family. 
but some of these horses, they don't quite land as softly as Louie, and for that, the TRF steps in. The Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, as always, if you want to support them, make sure you check out trfinc.org slash off track to donate. Thanks.